0: Hope you have your Bibles or devices today, and we're going to be in the uh, book of Acts. Luke wrote uh, a book in the scriptures called Acts, and for you that are new to Christ and new to the Word of God, it is A-C-T-S and not A-X-E, the book of Acts, and we're going to be in chapter one, so I want you to find it. And let's, let's read God's word. Acts chapter 1. And I'm going to begin in verse 6 and read through verse 14. And then we're going to uh, unpack what God has for us. So let me read. So when they had come together, the they there is Jesus after he is resurrected He has been on the earth for 40 more days, and he is about to ascend into the heavens. And uh, he is with his disciples here. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, whom was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day day's journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room. Where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the zealot and Judas the son of James. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and his brothers." I don't know if you camp or, or like to go out to lake, maybe you have a, a lake house or something like that, but if you get up early in the morning, there's a neat thing that, that happens when a lake is just glassy smooth. I mean, it is the beautiful thing to see, the reflections, maybe the sun coming up, the trees or whatever, to see a glassy lake. Now... The kid in me always is going to come out at that point. And so I'm going to look for something to chunk into that glassy sea. That's just the way it is. So I'll find a rock, and uh, you've done this probably, and you chunk that rock out into the uh, lake of glass, and all of a sudden, you you know, you get this thunk in in the water, and then what happens is is you have these ripples that come out from that major catalyst that you've broken the stillness of the lake, and all of a sudden those ripples go out. And we have a term for those that are called concentric circles that go out. And so from the catalyst, all of a sudden these concentric circles are going out to where you see the lake in itself is moving and eventually... Uh, it'll come back to still waters, but that that uh, concentric circles goes out. When Jesus was about to ascend to the right hand of the Father, he took his disciples aside. and what what uh, we wonder sometimes is why was Jesus' strategy, what was going to be God's strategy to take this life-changing message of Jesus to the whole world. How was he going to do that from this center of where the catalytic time had happened for Jesus to be crucified, raised from the dead, ascend to the right hand of the Father? The world is desperately in need of a Savior. What was going to be his strategy? And so Jesus introduced a concentric circle kind of situation, in Jerusalem is where uh, all took place. And then from there, there were going to be ripples out that are, were eventually going to go to a whole world. And actually, one of those ripples is what you and I, we got introduced into the kingdom through one of those. And uh, so, a core value, we're, we're walking through what are our core values here at Central. Those things that we look through uh, lenses, so to speak, as we see the world and we define what God has for us. And so one of those uh, core values is to embrace your mission field, to embrace your mission field. We, we all have a missionary calling, both here and abroad, okay? And more than just Sundays, we live on mission every day of our lives that's what we believe we believe the core values we're all in the mission field it's a matter of us to embrace our mission many of you have heard the term bloom where you're planted right uh, I tried to find out the where that came from initially and and nobody completely knows Paul Harvey not Steve Harvey Paul Harvey was one of those that introduced the term uh, bloom where you're planted. And what bloom where you're planted literally means is where you're at, whatever location you're in, you need to excel right there and not dream about being somewhere else all the time. Bloom where you are planted. And many of you might sense that you made the call as to where you live The street you'll be on, the place that you'll uh, be located, and you're in Round Rock, Texas right now, and many of you think you made the choice to be here. I want you to know that we have a sovereign God, and he has a plan for you, even though you may think you made the choice, you didn't, God had a plan for you right here, and he wants to use you right here. And God, in his creativity, has ways to get you where he can use you, okay? Uh, There is a story I've used before of of, uh, a home that had a basement. And in this basement, they, they had one window, but they chose to black that window out so they could keep things down there and it would remain cool. What happened is the lady of the house would hang her pot in that basement, and they lo and behold, one day, when they cut on the lights in there, they noticed that there was a plant growing over in the corner of the basement, and they're thinking, "How in the world can a plant grow here? It's pitch black. How can that plant grow over in the corner?" Well, what they they noticed was, is that the window had one little crack in it that wasn't blacked out. And the light would come through, it would hit the pot, and it would reflect off the pot into that corner, thus the plant was able to grow, getting that little bit of light off that pot into the corner. Now, what's the deal? You and I are pots. We're not the light. we are just pots that reflect the light, and God will do in His creativity only what He can do to get you in position to reflect that light into dark corners. And that's what He wants to use you for uh, to and I, you're, just look at the person next to you and say, "You're a pot. You're a good-looking pot, but you're a pot." Uh, most of us are crack pots in 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 here. We're jars of clay, but we are pots that reflect in the dark corners. And you may be the only believer that can get into that corner. And I want to look at this passage a little bit, especially verse eight, because we get so much from verse eight. And he says this: You will receive power. It's a very personal thing uh, to all disciples. You will receive power. Now, many people say that the Greek word for power here, uh, the Greek word is dunamis, and we get dynamite from that. And so it's a dynamite power. That's really not necessarily true what it's saying. Dynamite came into existence much after The scriptures were written, but it's a dunamis. It's an enablement and empowerment. Where there's vision, he gives provision. He gives you everything you need by the power of the Holy Spirit to be used by him. Um, It's not a feeling or a euphoric tingle, it's an empowerment and an enablement by his spirit to use you. When does this happen? What happens when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And he said this, you will be my witnesses. Now, the term witness, we think, okay, I know what the word witness is. But I have been called before to come in behalf of someone to be a character witness at a trial. Uh, I, I don't necessarily like that, but I've been called before to be a character witness. You have different witnesses in a trial. You have character witnesses. You have evidence witnesses. But the most important, you have eyewitnesses. An eyewitness is someone that has beheld whatever event took place. But we are called to be witnesses when the Holy Spirit comes upon us. And the term witness, not only do we see it, but we have been affected By the outcome of that event. We weren't there when Jesus rose from the dead. We weren't there when he ascended to the right hand of the Father. However, because of those ripples from those first disciples who were eyewitnesses, you and I become witnesses because we have been affected by that event. Amen? You understand what I'm saying. Our lives are on the witness stand of life. We, when others look at us, they ought to see a reflection of Jesus Christ. It's been said before, and you've heard this statement, and it it always convicts me that many people would come to Christ if it wasn't for Christians. And we have to become witnesses that it give a clear reflection of what we believe. And you shall be witnesses when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And we are called to bring this incredible life change of Jesus to others. But first, hear me this, before you can be a witness... You have to have a life change through a relationship with Jesus Christ. I know that many of you are good church people. But yet, have you come to that point of realizing that Jesus Christ came for you? Because we're broken. We are broken pots. And we needed a Savior desperately. And God sent Jesus. So before you can be a witness, you've got to be a part of his family. And this empowering and enabling comes from the Spirit of God. Now, I want to walk through these concentric circles that Jesus laid out in just a moment. Notice what he did. He says, it w- you become my witnesses in Jerusalem. That's exactly where they are. In Judea, Judea would be the surrounding country. Samaria, Samaria would just be north. Uh, The Samaritans were, they were called half-breeds so often because they were a mixture of Jews and other cultures that come together, Samaritans, and then the uttermost parts, the end of the earth. So, in other words, if you would do this geographically, we would say Round Rock, then we would say uh, Williamson County, Texas, the United States, the world, okay? It's a concentric circle that starts right here and goes beyond the world. So let's look at that just a moment in in what God has done. First of all, your Jerusalem. I believe your Jerusalem is your home. It's the place where you're located, It's your home. It's your family. It's the place that you are based out of right now. When we talk about being witnesses or evangelism, we always think about person X out there. The missionary is for person X. I want you to know, the person X that doesn't know you, that's easier than your family who knows you, right? I mean, God, send me to person X. I don't want to be... Uh, The missionary in my home front, but we are called to be missionaries in our home because our families see the real you All right, and so you need to be the real deal as you love on your family So you start with your Jerusalem Do your children know Christ? Do your spouse know Christ? Do do your other family know Christ? Have they been introduced to the life-changing power of Jesus Christ? And then he says, all Judea. I believe that your Judea is your neighborhood and community. Pam and I are big on loving our neighbors. Uh, We believe that God has placed us on Butler Way for a purpose, for those people to become family to us. And those who are in our sphere of relationships, May may not necessarily be your neighbors or, but it may be your workmates, your classmates. But let's think about our neighborhood just a, a second. I know at the end of the day, you're exhausted. You, you left your office, whatever time for you that still go to the office. I know many of you just come downstairs, but, but for you that go to work, you come home at the end of the day, your commute has just gotten on your last nerve, and you come up, you raise your garage door, you drive your car into the garage, if you can get in there, you shut the garage door, and you're in for the night. You you were guilty of turning our homes into compounds and forts instead of mission stations that we need to be loving on our neighbors. And so, I want to uh, just challenge you with a couple of questions right quick. First question is this. Do you know your neighbors by name? Do you know your neighbors by name? Now, it will be one thing to say, do you know your neighbors? And it's, oh, yeah, yeah, I know them. I wave at them all the time. But do you know them by name? Pam and I on Tuesday nights we have a different thing that we pray for each evening uh, on Tuesday evening we pray for our neighbors and we pray for them by name we pray for their kids by name that means we have to be intentional on knowing them and loving them correctly and then point uh, question number two is do you pray regularly for your neighbors and I don't I, I don't necessarily mean just pray blessings on them I mean get to know them enough that you know we have a situation where a lady on our street has cancer Lord we pray specifically for that we pray specifically for kids we want to be involved in their life and love them enough to pray for them by name and then here's the third question have your neighbors ever been in your home? Or, part B is that, have you ever been in theirs? And I realize, you may be thinking, Mark, I don't even want my closest friends in my house. But there's something about your home front and your neighbors being in there. Now, Pam and I... uh, We've distributed keys among some of our neighbors. And you may be thinking, wow, well, that's not safe. It, it's a great thing if you lock yourself out to know your neighbors. But we, you know, it's trust. You know, love is trust. And and so we've built that kind of relationship. And our neighbors have been in our homes. We've been in their homes. Uh, we, we love them. And and here's the deal. God has put you where he's put you for a purpose. It's not just to become a fortress or a compound. It's to love your neighbors correctly and your workmates and your classmates that you have. So that's your Judea. What about your Samaria? What's your Samaria? Uh... I think it's the community as a whole, it's uh, it's the state, it's the country. Um, I, w- I want to ask you a question. Have you given up on our country when it comes to God's moving? Uh, many of you are keeping up with what's happening in Asbury College, right at Asbury University now. It's right outside of Lexington, Kentucky, Kentucky. Uh, Week and a half ago, they had a regular chapel service, and the Holy Spirit just decided to visit them. And, and from everything I can gather, they weren't necessarily even praying for it. God just showed up, and they've been going every day since then—nine um, days now—and uh, they've been gathering. And now, people—it's starting to uh, shift to other college campuses that that are taking place, and God is just showing up. There's a lot of confession, a lot of repentance. God is cleaning his bride up, and and many things uh, are happening out of that. And and the question is, uh, does God want to do that here? Does God want to do that right here? The one thing I know is that the Scriptures are very clear on hungering and thirsting after the presence of God. I wonder if we're not hungering and thirsting. Uh, I wonder if we become content. Uh, um, Leonard Ravenhill said, the great evangelist, he said, he said, America won't have revival because America's content to live without revival. And I wonder if that's not true. Have you given up on our Samaria, on our... uh, on our country, on our state. Have you given up? I hope not, because God has called us into Samaria. And then the ends of the earth. Uh, At Central, we believe that the gospel is for every man and people group. Uh, Some of you have been called to the nations. Some of you have been called to certain ethnic groups. Uh, I have a pastor friend who is, who just went back to Africa. He is more in, at home in Africa than he is here in the United States. And I have another friend here today, Jeff Wiston. Hey, Jeff, stand up right quick. This is, uh, this is my dear friend, Jeff Whiston. Uh, Jeff and his wife, Coco, he has his daughter, Gracie, with him today. Jeff and Coco are, uh, and we support them as a congregation they are in Barcelona, Spain. And, uh, of course, Jeff and Coco are fluent in Spanish and everything. So God is using them there. But sometimes God calls you to a particular place at the ends of the earth. Some for short term, some for long term. And, or some as a career even. But God will call you... From your comfortable state, sometimes to the ends of the earth, and I, I tell people who have never traveled internationally, I encourage them to go ahead and get a passport. And you're saying, why? I, I don't have it on my day timer. Well, God may need you, and so go ahead and put yourself in position by getting a, a, a passport. Okay, so. We have our Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the world. Now, I want to share with you, I'm going to get very practical, and then I'm going to lay out some strategy to help you live a life on mission. Here's some thoughts on Jesus' strategy. There are just five things. They won't be on the, uh, on the screen yet, but let me just share them with you. At salvation and your personal encounter with Jesus, he calls all of us to the mission field. They're, missionaries aren't just people that go overseas or go do things. We're all called to the mission field. It's just that we have different fields. And sometimes our sphere of influence uh, intersects with other people. But at salvation, you're called to the mission field. Number two, you're not just called, but you're empowered and you're enabled to do whatever you do. God not only gives you vision, He gives you provision <clears throat> that is needed. And He is with you on your mission field. Here's a third thought. Your mission field is where you are. The, I know some of you are thinking, oh man, I'd love to go to Barcelona, Spain. Uh, If God can use you in Round Rock, he may call you to Spain, but he wants to use you here first. And so your mission field is right where you are, and you are called to live life on mission. Here's a fourth thought. Sometimes your mission fields overlap with other people, and that's fantastic. We're not the only Christians on Butler Way. And and you're not the only Christians in your classroom. You're not the only Christians in your workspace. Sometimes they overlap, and, and you're able to team up with other people. And then here's a fifth thought. Sometimes God, God calls you to a specific mission field, and you will have to leave your current state of comfort to go where he's called you to go. Bill Hybels used to call it a holy discontent. Why is it that certain believers have holy discontent in certain areas and others do not? Here's a case in point. Why is it that some are called to work in our student ministry and other people are thinking, man, I can't believe they're working with students. I could not do that. Or why is it that somebody is loving on our kids in kids' church right now, And others think, wow, I couldn't do that. They have no desire to do that. Or why is it that certain people, when it comes to pregnancy centers or the homeless or single adults or older people, why is it that certain people have a holy discontent that they're willing to give their lives in that area and others are thinking, that's not an itch for me to scratch? It's because the Holy Spirit of God is creative in, in getting us cracked pots into dark areas all over the world. And so you've got to be willing to go. So sometimes God will call you to specific mission fields. Now, here's a very practical. I'm going to give you three things right quick to help you to live life on mission. Number one is this. Keep your spiritual walk fresh. Keep your spiritual walk fresh. Daily spend time with the Lord. Yield your life to the power of the Holy Spirit on a daily basis. Get so close to the Lord that you learn to hear His voice and how He communes with you. Live the kind of life God can use right now and be faithful where you're at. But keep your walk, your spiritual walk, fresh. There was a man who visited a castle in England, and he was going to meet another guy there, and the guy was running a little late, so he said, why, so he was instructed, why don't you go out into the gardens, and especially the Rose Garden, and go out there and check it out. So he went on the grounds, and he was walking through. He comes to the Rose Garden, He's walking through the rose garden. He's smelling the the roses and everything. And he comes back inside and and it's time for him to meet with a guy. And he comes in and the guy says, Ah, you've been in the rose garden, haven't you? And he said, Yeah, how did you know? And he said, Anybody that walks through the rose garden comes in smelling like the roses. And the point is this. When you spend daily time With the Lord Jesus Christ, you start to to smell and give that fragrance out to other people, and they know you've been with the Father. And they listen. I know when I've not been with the Father, too. I stink, but I don't smell like roses. And so God wants you to spend quality time with Him on a daily basis. So that you give out a fresh fragrance of the Lord Jesus Christ. Keep your spiritual walk fresh. Number two is this. Open your eyes. Open your eyes. It's so hard to see when our eyes are on me. It, you got to pray, God, open my eyes. There's something called visual lethargy. Visual lethargy is the more you see something the less you see it. You notice billboards. Billboards, they change quite often because you develop visual lethargy. You don't see that anymore. In my offices, I've got piles of files and stuff that I don't see anymore until somebody comes in my office and thinks, wow, you got junk there. And I've just overlooked it. And sometimes we get visual lethargy where those we go to school with, those we work with, those are our neighbors. Instead of seeing them as God created them, we just overlook them. And we need to pray, God, open my eyes. Open my eyes to see people the way that you see people and to love them accordingly. So, open your eyes. And then the third... Third is this. Obey when you're nudged. Obey when you're nudged. I want you to know when the Spirit of God nudges you to do something, I can guarantee you God has gone before you. The the problem we have is we look for signs to confirm when we know the Holy Spirit has nudged us. Oh, Lord, if you'll give me three signs and I'll, I'll go. I, I, I thought about the guy that was, uh, uh, he, he was on a diet and he w- went by the donut store and he said, God, if you want me to go in for a donut, you're going to have to open up a place right in front of the store. And he was telling another guy that story, and he's because the guy came in with a box of donuts, and he said, "Man, that was incredible." He said, "Yeah, I had to drive around for an hour for there it, to be an open spot." The reason I, I share that is that that uh, we need to obey automatically when we're nudged. There's a book I was introduced to. Um, that I've actually talked through with some of our men. But it's called the 10 second rule. And basically it's this. If you don't respond within 10 seconds. You usually miss the opportunity. And the nudges. We need 20 seconds of insane courage. Right? We, we need that. So. Here's the deal. Is your walk fresh? Are you praying that God would open your eyes? And then are you willing to obey when he nudges you? I'll end with this. I was watching an interview the other day with a young lady from Asbury University. And they were interviewing her. I think she was either president of the student body or oversaw the, the, the publication that the college puts out or whatever. And they asked her about what the Holy Spirit was doing in this awakening among the students. And uh, she, um, she said that uh, uh, God was at work, but she said this. She said, you know, Asbury College or Asbury University, this ground is not that special. She said, God has just chosen to show up, there is no difference between the grounds at Asbury and wherever you may live. And I thought, oh God, can we grasp that? Can we grasp that, God, you're as real here as you are in Kentucky today? You're as real here as you are in J- Jerusalem or the Holy Land today? You are as real here in God. We hunger and thirst. For more of you. It's a core value. That we embrace our mission field.